0: Welcome to Wild Blue Yonder on the Air, Air University's podcast. I am Dr. Megan Hennessy, Director of the Air University Teaching and Learning Center, here today with Mr. Sebastian Bay. Hey, Sebastian.
1: Hey, good morning.
0: Sebastian is a game designer and research analyst on the gaming and integration team at the Center for Naval Analysis. Thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, I'm really happy to join you guys this morning.
0: Is this your first time down at Air University?
1: It is. It's my first time down in Alabama, actually, in the whole state. So uh-huh. this is a special nearing occasion.
0: Welcome to the Air Force world. Yeah. <laughs> so your edited volume entitled Forging War Gamers was recently published through Marine Corps University Press. I'm wondering if you can please share more about the main message of the book and why it's important to military education at this time.
1: The edited volume came out of the Connections Working Group. The Connections Conference is an annual professional wargaming, a conference that is held usually in the NCR, but bounces around from PME institutions. Has we were working on working groups every year, last year, 2021, uh, seems like forever ago. Yes. We were tasked with thinking about how do we think about wargaming in the future in terms of talent management, developing new wargame designers, but also expanding the field in terms of the topics we address and so forth. So my working group which I was chairing with Matt Caffrey, we settled on the topic of how do we cultivate, foster, raise new war gamers? And we use the term war gamers pretty broadly in this context. We included players, sponsors who sponsor war games analytically or educationally. We included designers who make games and everyone in between. So we thought about this question of how do we open the aperture? How do we open the gateway? for people to enter our field, which is pretty niche, right? It's pretty small and insular in many ways, but we wanted to open the flood doors or at least start cracking the windows. That was the question we addressed to all the authors and all the authors were fantastic because they have and come from many different experiences and perspectives. We had everyone from social scientists looking at it from their perspective of how do we include it into academia into as academic discipline, how do we use it for experimentation and include political scientists who are not gamers, who, never may, who may have never been exposed to it. And they built on work from like Andrew Reddy and Jacqueline Schneider at Stanford and Berkeley. And then we had other people who were uniformed service officers like Ian Brown at the Krulak Center, along with Paul Kearney down at the Center for Army Analysis. They looked at it differently. Paul has a great chapter on how do we develop on the job training. And that's how many of us learn, right? So it was the first time someone's like, hey, this is how we do it at CAA. Ian talked about how the Marine Corps University, MCU Enterprise with Large is approaching the problem about the different games they're using from all the way down to the enlisted level, all the way up to the command staff college that they're using at, at McWar and so forth. So he has a wide ranging article on that. But in reality, the real question was, how do we forge war gamers? And we wanted to open the aperture and be like, hey, this is a field that you can floor. This has many debates about it, about what is a game and so forth. But our question was, what makes a Wargamer? Whether you're a player, consumer, analyst, a sponsor, or a designer. And we wanted to tackle it from different directions. And I don't think the edited volume gives you any particular answer. It just gives you many different perspectives. Hopefully, it will provide you the perspective that you need from whatever perspective uh, you're sitting at, whether it's at Air University, or Army War College or some civilian school like Georgetown, where I come from, or MIT or anywhere else, right? Or maybe you're in a unit. Uh, one of the things I uh, want to do, hopefully in the future when I have time, is expand the uh, the volume to a second edition to include different perspectives, including how do you include different interdisciplinary fields into wargaming gaming as players, but also as experts, also as designers, but also how do we cultivate and foster and sustain wargaming down at the tactical units, down at the squadron level, at the battalion level, at the company level. And there are more perspectives that way. One of the things I really regret not having in the first volume is having the perspective of a non-wargamer who was an instructor or used it, whether you're, you were a commander or a PME faculty member that used wargaming for the first time and having those challenges sort of codified to share, right? Because I think a lot of times as we discussed yesterday at the workshop, is a lot of people are afraid of it. They're like, hey, I don't know this uncomfortable thing. I never heard about this. I don't know how to use it. I have limited time, so failure costs a lot in my curriculum. And I think it is reassuring and also helpful when you have a bit of a roadmap of saying, hey, like this other person trotted a path similar to mine, maybe not exactly. And maybe there are lessons learned that I can learn from them to include in my PME course or my uh, how I m- implement type of wargaming down at the squadron or company level.
0: Thank you. You used the word cultivate, and I know we're having lots of conversations throughout military education about lifelong learning and that continuum of learning and the learning ecosystem. The word cultivate suggests a, a lifelong process, <laughs> almost like farming or growing something from the ground up. Can you say more about what that means for wargamers?
1: Yeah, so for me, the reason I use cultivating is because not every student in a war game class will go on to be a war game designer or even an analyst or you know, use wargaming in any way. Using an analogy that I've recently talked about with colleagues at Georgetown was I roughly have anywhere between a dozen to 18 students in my wargaming design course. My class is a design course, so it's primarily focused on producing designers. Of let's say a dozen or 18 students, probably a quarter of them will want to do it beyond the class. Others will be like, oh, this was a great experience. I've learned a lot, but thank you. Goodbye. And that's okay. That's totally okay. Because their literacy in gaming has increased by taking the course, which isn't really important, but of the quarter that will want to do it, only maybe one or two will really take a job in game design. If you think about it, as you cultivate the field, only small portions of it will enter the designer bin of actual apprenticeship and so forth. And of those, some may even attract along that way, right? So this is why a training pipeline is really important. Just like we have rank retention and rank attrition at certain points, right? Some ranks are really hard, like captains just fall out of the skies like flies. So that's why you have so many. Similarly, I think as we are thinking about attrition across that pipeline, as Jobs are limited, experiences are limited, and skills are far to get and time consuming. You have to think about how do we build this continuum of learning and cultivate them. Because getting them into a place like CNA, where I work, where we have hired young war game designers, but it takes time. When they walk through the door, even if they take my class, it doesn't mean that they can design a game right away by themselves for on a million dollar budget. It means that they know a lot more than the average person and the average analyst. And they can design games and can help with games. But there's still a lot to learn about how do you design a game for a particular sponsor? Or how do you adjust timelines? Or where is the information I need? There's lots to learn. How do I manage a sponsor with unrealistic timelines? Or how do I manage a budget and so forth? So there's still a lot to learn. There's a long apprenticeship before they will go on and lead their own designs and take on apprentices of their own. But if you think about it, it's already a years-long process and they will continue cultivating. Like even I'm, I was talking to with Phil from LeMain and we're considered like senior designers in many regards. And we are probably one of a handful of people who are under the age of 40 with that sort of distinction. And we still feel sometimes in some rooms like we are the youngest people and we don't know anything. When you're sitting at a table with Peter Perlow or Ed McGrady, who have literally decades of learning and uh, games and experiences under their belt, we are always learning at their feet as well as learning from our own experiences and also adjusting to different sponsors and different environments. And I'm always constantly learning myself. And I try to think about that as well as how do you grow from a journeyman to an expert to a master? And I think that is true for the PME side as well. Just because you took one class and you're in squadron school, or right, And you graduate, you're like, oh, I mastered it all and there's nothing more to learn. It's just the beginnings. Often formal education is just the beginning for you to really build on that systemic structure learning to go and build, build higher. And that, that's all what's all about.
0: Along with simulations and other immersive learning techniques, Wargaming is specifically called out in the recently published uh, DOD instruction 1322.35 on military education. And in that DOTI, it says that uh, wargaming should be used as a way to, quote, ensure military professionals demonstrate proficiencies, remain intellectually agile, and can identify and incorporate emerging technological, organizational and operational innovations, end quote. So pretty tall. Order. <laughs> How can we know educational wargaming actually works and is helping students to achieve these outcomes and build these competencies?
1: I jokingly tell people that I keep a, a copy of Joint Pub 1322.35, like in my back pocket. It's on my Google Drive that I like always show people. I'm like, let me show you this new Joint Pub. <laughs> but joking aside, that document, among others, for the, the, let's say the Marine Corps and the the Commandant's planning guidance and its recent uh, forces on 2030 and other services have been leaning into similar learning, experiential learning, or what we call 21st century learning, which no one has really fully defined for me yet. but I think those are all really important to understand that in the classroom, in schoolhouses, in units, learning has to be multi-method, right? Interdisciplinary uh, lectures and the hip pocket classes are just not enough. As you're only getting one, you're, in, you're part of your learning experience, and you need a full complement. So, with that said, formal evaluation of the learning outcomes of wargaming is honestly and admittedly and sadly understudied. This is problematic because often we don't have longitudinal do studies of saying like, we follow this group of people and we discover how they learn and so forth. A lot of the wargaming benefit in terms of quantification or qualification in either regard has been focused on the historical, often looking backwards and from participants from like the Naval War College interwar period gaming has been famous for its educational gaming prior to World War II or uh, relies on like the Prussians or other institutions that have done it. And look backward and like, hey, that was really important to us. But that kind of historical perspective is useful, but also flawed and biased in some regards, right? You find the points that you want to, even from first hand accounts, is that first hand accounts are not always reliable, always. Um, and they can have their own biases towards, if, and so forth. Like, for example, hypothetically, let's say we're reading a journal from a Naval War College graduate and says, hey, The interwar periods were great and helped me as a squadron commander in the Pacific and you know I mean whatever battle. And we say we read that and we're like, ah yes, this is proof right there in someone's handwriting, uh, who lives and breathed during that time. But also at the same time, he may have thought about other courses as well. He or he may have not remembered a professor or anything else, or maybe it was really truly profound. Although we as war game designers, as we preach the gospel, right, we point to those instances, we also have to be critical of them as well. And we as a field must always be like, hey, these historical analogies and case studies are great to humanize them, to contextualize them, to give real world applications and instances. But at the same time, we were like, one of the things we as a field have to do is like, okay, then where are the numbers? But also, where is the structure quantification over here? We discuss of like, hey, is there a method of where we can even survey students who go through the service academies or any of these PME schools and be like, hey, you did wargaming. How did you think about it every year that you went through a schoolhouse? Or have surveys across, let's say, SOS, Squadron Officer School, and survey them and see if, if one year, one cohort, is we have done in the past, like surveys and feedback from students about wargames in particular instances. And courses that have more gaming in small batches, like we will do it for a class and so forth. But we have not truly implemented them across a systemic like schoolhouse and across time. There's great work at MCU right now with Dr. Kuhn, who's trying to do a lot of that work. And I'm eagerly waiting for her to do more. And I was like, yes, do all the things I say we should do, but I don't have time to do. And she's doing fantastic work about it. And I think that is a step in the right direction. But honestly, we need like three or four of her across all service academies and PME and schoolhouses. But that is admittedly a hole in our literature. But I think that'll be really rich. There's a lot of rich literature on broad-based game-based learning that we have often relied on as resources of showing how game-based experiential learning is really powerful, and that has been useful in filling this the gap in the literature that we have not provided ourselves in the military context. Uh look at the interwar periods. Look at Dunkem. Look at Tac War. These are great instances, and we'll say, "Hey!" And then game-based learning, Riff Large has said, "This is good methods of experiential learning." And even from my presentation yesterday, I filled in a lot of that qualification and you know, sort of how do we know if this works with civilian broad-based game-based learning and sort of educational theory. But also at the same time, we have, we have to ask ourselves from the military PME side, is, does this still work the same way on the PME side? Personally, I think it does because you know, I, mean, I think education works pretty broadly. And even though each subject and each community and sort of application is unique, there's a general ability that applies across the, the spectrum. But at the same time, one of the key criticisms we always get is how does this help the warfighter in the future? Uh, this is true for any education. This is probably true for PME. And I think as we as uh, on the educational side are able to advocate and quantify, but also qualify what education does for the warfighter in the future, I think that is really important. The way I always say is uh, we always talk about training our bodies for combat training, our, uh, running PFTs quarterly and so forth. But I always argue like we should put like even half the energy that we do for your body mass indexes and PFT scores and how many crunches you can do to measure not only the ethical, but also the intellectual character of our officers and NCOs. We would be a tremendous force multiplier because how fast you can run doesn't make a difference if you make bad decisions. If anything, that just means you run into bad decisions faster. Right. (laughs) Right. So the real question is, how do we cultivate and have our Officers or NCOs and are enlisted really exercise their brains on a daily, monthly, you know, I mean, quarterly basis in, in engaging and in powerful ways, just like we have them go to the gym. The brain is a muscle and we need to train it and keep it up and cultivate it throughout their whole you know, careers.
0: Is there anything that educational wargaming cannot do?
1: Oh, so much. All right. So <laughs> as someone who loves educational gaming and loves gaming as both as a player, as a designer. And I will tell you all the great benefits of gaming. I will also tell you where it fails. Educational gaming is great, but it is not a panacea to learning. It's not like this is the best method or only method they should ever use. I think there's always a little fear of in PME schoolhouses and curriculums are large. like, oh, my God, gaming is going to eat all this curriculum and we'll never do traditional lectures or or seminars or any of these other like staff rides or things. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just like your diet, you need a balanced you're know I mean? a portion of everything. You need lectures. You need uh, that discussion of seminars. And you need more gaming. You need staff rides. There is a power to staff rides and being able to walk the hill to Gettysburg or whatever. And I think that is important because each of those methods have their own weaknesses. Lectures are pretty passive. I can see even when I'm lecturing, right, and I'm pretty loud and engaging that like some of my students right around like near 8.30 p.m. when my lectures are going towards the end, at, when we end at night, they're glossing over. They're, it's hard. Uh, especially since I take all their laptops away. So they can't, they can't be on like TikTok and things. And then for seminars, when you have group discussions, those are great for extroverted learners. But the shy person, the quiet person, they're not engaged as much because that, it doesn't lean into their their strengths. Uh, same thing where wargaming is great for experiential learning. But if you don't have that knowledge or if you are, again, not super or leaning or the group dynamic may be bad for you or Certain personalities may push other personalities out. Like there are weaknesses to gaming as a method. But the point is, is that if you hopefully have a full complement of little bits of everything, a sort of like a dim sum approach, right? And finding the right balance for your schoolhouse and your curriculum, because one class at your university may have lots of more, it may be 80% more gaming and 20% lectures. Another may be 80% lectures and 20% gaming or some other combination of other mixed methods. The point is finding the right balance and understanding. What each educational tool offers to the instructor and to the student and how to mix and match them, right? To have the right flavor profile that, that adds to the, to learning objectives of your course. Some things that educational wargaming and wargaming with large can't do is like provide you a, like a simple answer. If you're asking games to be like, Hey, how can I win the war against China or how will Ukraine win against Russia? It can show you one possibility, but it has anyone with academic or research background is. What can you do with one data point? Draw a line in any direction, right? You can cause, so the idea is that it is powerful. The process is powerful because the process of uh, dissecting and interrogating your own logic as you make decisions is the powerful portion. It doesn't really matter who wins in games and especially in educational games. It only really matters because competition will force players to come back and learn again. But as a teacher, you don't really care, right? If one side wins the uh, over the other, you care about, how they did it, and if, if they're introspective of their process. About that hot wash, the hot wash is as important as the game. And So if you're running a full day game, a good portion of it should be about discussion, about having those questions of like, Megan, why did you make that decision? And you're like, you know what? I made these sort of risk calculus. And I was like, sometimes you just got to roll with it. And I was like, well, that's interesting. What does everyone else think about that? Or you're like, hey, I did some year, mate. I remember from our lectures about these things. And I was like playing a game with a, a mixed group of civilian students from my Georgetown class and some Marines. And we were playing OWS, which is an operational war game by Tim Barrett, designed by the Marine Corps. And they use it pretty predominantly at Marine Corps University. It's a great game, has different modules. And we were playing the Assassin's Mace, the Pacific version of it. And one of the Marines later on, he, his carrier strike group was destroyed because he was very hesitant to enter sort of like the DF range, right? The, the ballistic missile defense. And we were dissecting why. We are like, why were you doing this? And he's like, well, like, you see these sort of range rings on PowerPoints and you just think like they're just going to kill you no matter what you do. So he was like paralyzed by his own knowledge and sort of the things that he'd been told. But at the same time, his other, there was a, a parallel CSG r- run by another Marine. And I was like, well, you guys are from the same cohort. Why did you go sort of straightforward? And he, he sort of lingered on the outside and really was sort of missed the fight. And he was just like, well, I'm not going to be able to do anything at this range. So either I go in and risk it, right? And as far as risk it for the biscuit, right? Or I may I get left behind. And there's some, there's probably a balance between those two mentalities. But the point is, is that the games allow us to dissect those lessons. They both went to the same lectures, saw the same PowerPoints, uh, the range rings of death. But the question is, where is the balance? Where is a forward-leaning aggressive mentality important? Where is sort of caution? and being patient at the same time. And I don't think either one is wrong is really the question of context. In this context, the aggression was rewarded. But at the same time, maybe in other instances, that strategic patience is really important. And that discussion was really fruitful.
0: Thank you. We've talked about this a little bit already, but you mentioned earlier that failure costs a lot. And much of the criticism of educational wargaming that we hear at the Teaching and Learning Center at Air University seems to focus on concerns over limited time, or what I've heard referred to as, quote, the tyranny of content. (laughs) Faculty believe that in order to put wargaming into a course, something else must come out, and the sacrifice of time or content might not always pay off. So how would you counter this argument?
1: The tyranny of content is a great term, and I will steal that shamelessly. I think the first rebuttal to that is the notion that that is true for anything. When the Ukraine war broke out earlier this year, I bet you there's a bunch of PME classes changing their syllabus and curriculum to add discussions about the Russian conflict in Ukraine discussions about, I mean, long-range fires and ISR, about air power, ground-based air defenses are as powerful as we always assume they were given past instances, or if it's just Russian incompetence. There are fruitful and powerful discussions still happening with very few answers. And I bet you there are classes who changed their syllabus. They scratched out things and added things. And curriculum adjustment and adaptation is just part of the term. If your syllabus has not changed in 10 years, it's probably problematic. If it hasn't changed in five years, there's almost never a year that I don't go changing my syllabus for my design course because I will add a new article, replace an old one, add a new lecture with a new perspective, or even switch up the lectures because I'm like, well, I've learned that this order is better. And I think you should always be willing to take a critical eye right, to your syllabus, to your curriculum. And some of that's harder because some of the PME courses are mandated with their syllabus can do. And there's no solution to that. It's like when the powers that be says you shall teach this sacrosanct syllabus, right? I'm sorry. Like I will watch you and pray for you and root for you. But like there's nothing any of us can do to help you on that one, right? But if if you have control over your syllabus, right? And you're struggling with the trade-offs, the question is experiment a little, right? You don't know, right? Maybe it'll be a hit. Maybe it'll be epic failure. But well, the point is, is that even from failure, just like in games, right, will teach you something is that, like, you know what, I tried that and maybe the execution was wrong. Maybe the content was wrong and so forth. I think that's really important. I've never experienced an instance of me helping someone else adapt themselves to incorporate any type of games, from micro games to big games to capstone games to tactical decision games. There are many different tools and brands of games that don't have to be like full, like two, three week versions of games. Like we play Bomb Diggity, which is a micro game we finish in like 20 minutes. And that's easily fitted within a classroom. It's just like, hey, what portion of this, maybe I just replaced the seminar portion of one lecture or reduce the lecture time or by a few slides to do this short exercise. And it doesn't always have to be games. It can be other little learning exercises, breaking them into small groups. Again, it's all about that multi-educational approach. And the tyranny of content is real. And I think for us, on the PME side, we have to ask ourselves, what is the systemic processes that we need to implement to evaluate, assess, and adapt our curriculum on the fly, right? Whether it is finding the right support and the right sort of expertise. And the question for here at Air University is like, if I was a faculty member here at Air University teaching somewhere at, let's say, uh, Air Command Staff College, who do I, I'm finding my Rolodex on the global to ask about support. More than anything, the tyranny of content is often an excuse because they don't know how to do it because we all adapt our syllabuses in some way or form. And the question is like, often they're afraid that you will blow up your well curated garden, right? Of that is your syllabus by trying something unexpected and untried in your classroom. And that ease and anxiety can be ease in many regards by help. Be like, hey, I come to the you know, teaching and learning center. I ask for help. I ask for you know, expertise of who has done this or connect me to a faculty member that had a great experience or had a bad experience with it or just to help me, you know, ease into the right m- or sort of track or to understand that not all games have to be hex encounter. Maybe a Matrix game is great for you. It really is a version of like a, a discussion based game. So it really depends. And I think I would encourage people to be brave and forward leaning in many regards.
0: I think the bottom line, (laughs) reach out to the TL. Yes, yes,
1: absolutely. (laughs) Uh,
0: In the introduction to your book, you mentioned that, quote, for the enlisted force, wargaming is a tragically rare commodity. Of course, Air University educates a huge number of enlisted service members each year. So what can an instructor at such places as the Senior NCO Academy or the Chief Master Sergeant Leadership Academy do to integrate (laughs) these wargames? And where should they begin?
1: So the way I think about it is, first off, to the rare commodity comment is, it's true. It's it's tragically true. I say this as a former enlisted sergeant in the Marine Corps, is that wargaming very much even still today is a domain of learning almost restricted exclusively to officers. If you look at where all the PME wargaming houses are, NPS, Command General Staff College, Army War College, you see a trend that they're all officer school houses, Marine Corps University, at Command General Theft College and McWhorn, they're all, or even EWS, all officer school. And it is great at how educational wargaming has grown on the officer PME side, and I'm all about it. But as a former enlisted person, right, I am also about, like, hey, how do we push this down to the other 90% of the force, right, who are enlisted, who are supposed to be your senior military advisors? And there is some great progress happening in that regard. So, not all doom and gloom. In the sense like um, this College of Enlisted Military Education, me, as part of the Marine Corps University Enterprise, has really embraced wargaming. Gunny Lancaster and others have really pushed for it and they have been advocates for it and they've just recently hired wargame uh, specialists and designers to help them really push it out virtually to all the campuses, both at Quantico and other bases across the enterprise. So there is really good and fruitful work happening on that side, but it is, Lagging behind the officer side. And I think the question really is, what kind of gaming do you need to educate your senior enlisted and NCOs? And what other games do you want to teach them so they can run it for their subordinates? I think that is also a really big portion is that maybe uh, sergeants, we teach them how to use tactical decision games, both as players, but also when they go back to their units, they can run it for their corporals, for their lands corporals, for their PFCs. Maybe schoolhouses for gunnies and first sergeants, we teach them how to think about operations, right? The same way we teach captains and majors about staffs because that's where they're going to be advising. So maybe OWS is great for them. Or maybe we have more tactical decision games for master guns and gunnery and your master sergeant to talk about your uh, scissor T and how to complete the kill chain or how to do logistics. We can do MOS-specific games about education. Maybe a master guns or a master sergeant has a long-range fires game that he teaches you how to do like the F2, T2, EA process. How do I find, fix, track, target, uh, execute, and, and assess uh, a target. Maybe that's the learning process. The question is not only is how do we educate senior NCOs and senior enlisted, but also how do we prepare them to teach others? Because they're the teaching in the units, right? I have learned a lot from my lieutenant and my captain, but I learned a lot more from my staff and my gunny. And they're the ones who have their hands on the Marines all the time. So the question is how do we prepare them to be better mentors, better teachers, better tacticians and operators down at the lowest level as possible. And the question is, I think it's like one of the favorite things I love is like tactical decision games are easy, You put them on an eight by 11 piece of paper and be like, have a great discussion about it, right? You can also have it, uh, have versions of micro gaming pushed down. One of the greatest responses to the micro games have been at the enlisted level because they're like, this is great. Like I can just print it out I me in the morning, have my enlisted, cut it up. Right. And we'll play a game and then we'll have a discussion or you can pair them up with uh, reading. Right. There's a lot of great ways to pair reading and uh, historical gaming. Right. Uh, a colleague of mine who's over at 3Map, he was looking at uh, how to incorporate gaming. So he does this sort of weekly gaming sessions like, hey, anyone enlisted PFC or officers come in and we'll run you know I mean, a four hour game. We'll teach you how to play. And it has garnered a lot of interest slowly, but steadily. I think that's a powerful element. It's also it's great to have enlisted leaders and officers on at the same table, sort of at the same playing ground. Like one of my favorite portions that I've loved is watching young enlisted, like corporals and sergeants face off against their officers in a game. And they're like, you everyone to see like true bloodlust, right? Like these enlisted are <laughs> like, yes, we finally get to prove our worth. And you can be surprised about how, what you learn about your enlisted or who are sharp, who are listening and how engaged they are with the problem. And I don't think we give the enlisted ranks enough credit. And I think these games are a great way to engage them intellectually.
0: Thanks, Sebastian. At this point, is there anything else you want to expand upon?
1: I guess I'll reiterate one point, which is there's no one-size-fits-all model uh, for gaming. This is true for there's no right-size game that hits both tactical and strategic and operational at equal level. If there was, I would have designed it and retired in many regards, you have to have bespoke solutions. there are some things that will be applied across certain levels. A great game about uh, micro gaming about aviation may be applied to many squadrons. But if you are a maintainer squadron, maybe you don't care about like you're in the fighter jet. Maybe I care about something like KingFit, which is talking about how do I set up air bases? How do I maintain that supply line? How do I survive in the WES and the weapons engagement zone? So the real question is, how do we prepare the tools and equip our leaders in the enlisted ranks and the officer ranks to be better leaders, better mentors, better gamers, but also better facilitators. Because My goal is not to only just have them be players and learning because you also learn as being a teacher yourself. Uh, I think that's really important. So my in my ideal world, a captain and lieutenant will do a lot of wargaming, but they will turn around and go to their units after they go to the schoolhouses and do it with their uh, subordinates, with their senior enlisted, with their gunnies, with their staff sergeants, Similarly, on staff, do with the majors and, and lieutenant colonels who are on staffs to do it with not only their peers and their peer group, but also with your know, senior enlisted and other units and hopefully have that exchange of knowledge from the two shop to the three shop to the five shop to the six shop because too much often we stay in our lanes and we don't talk to each other shockingly. So games are great to have that table talk. And I think that is one of the great underrated values of gaming. Uh, It's not always just about the outcome. It's a lot about the process.
0: Well, thanks so much, Mr. Bay. For our listeners, if you're interested in joining the educational wargaming community of interest, please send us a note at autlc at us.af.mil. And thank you for joining us today for Wild Blue Yonder On The Air.